Well, this, uh, this is week two, Sunday two, week two, uh, in our series from the book of Proverbs that we call them Wise Up, because Proverbs, you know, is a book of wisdom. And uh, last week we uh, began the study of Proverbs in the first chapter, verses one through six, and we heard Solomon give to us the instructions about how to wise up so that we would make wise decisions. And, and um, we also talked about a, a great addition to your life, to your spiritual life, would be to read whatever else you're reading in your spiritual life, helping you develop and grow in that, would be to add reading a, a chapter of Proverbs every day. And there being 31 chapters of Proverbs, uh, then uh, most months you would get one for every day. You'd have to double up on some days and some months, and then uh, I guess February, depending upon uh, what was leap year or not, you might have to add two or three uh, in there to get that. But it would add so much. You read a, a chapter of Proverbs a day, and they're so rich, they just keep reading over and over and over. You read that through 12 times in the year, and I think you'll pick up a lot, lot of uh, interest and, and um, a, a lot of strong points that will help you grow in your wisdom. So what is this wisdom, this biblical wisdom that we're talking about that Solomon wants to impart to us and that we need to claim? Well, we talked about last week that that wisdom, biblical wisdom, uh, is the ability to make wise decisions. That's the, that's the wisdom he's talking about, that the ability to make wise decisions. And that wisdom differs from knowledge or intellect because we all know smart and educated people uh, who, who, who don't make wise decisions. They, they, make, they make dumb decisions. And one of the issues that we face today is about making decisions about what kind of advice we'll take because uh, there are there's so much material, a wealth of information, and such rapid growth in technology today that you really can't keep up with everything. How many of you text? You text, you use the phone for texting? How many of you say? Let's see if it crosses all generations, just about, okay. Uh, my research tells me that there are over 6 billion text messages sent and received every day in the United States. My information, as I looked at that, also says that the first text was sent in 1992. Does anybody remember what the first text message was? Anybody remember what the first text message was? It was Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. There are over 300,000 new books that are published every year in the United States. Knowledge. Information that we have doubles rapidly. We know we're in the flow of information. All the time we're getting besieged with information. Many years ago it was Buckminster Fuller who created that knowledge doubling curve. And he noticed that until 1900 human knowledge doubled approximately every century. But by the end of World War II knowledge was doubling every 25 years. Today, things aren't as simple as different types of knowledge have different rates for growth. For example, nanotechnology. You know what that is? I didn't either. But I read it that it's a manipulation of matter on an atomic or molecular scale. Well, that kind of knowledge is doubling every two years. Clinical knowledge. Information about diseases, therapies, and, and interpretation of lab tests. That's doubling every 18 months. And on average, human knowledge is doubling every 13 months. And according to IBM, that built out of the Internet things 
will lead to the doubling of knowledge every 12 hours. No wonder it's hard to keep up and to know what's right and to know what we can use. There's a wealth of knowledge at our fingertips. Rapid changes take place in our, in our, in our world every day. And one of the issues that we have to deal with is, is, is how, how can we be prepared for the future when we have no earthly idea what it's going to look like? And another point is, is how can we prepare to resist forms of temptation and all kinds of pressure that didn't exist 25 years ago? See, the, the, the truth is that with all of our knowledge, the world is really not a better place. All the great strides that have been made in, in scientific work. There are great strides that have been made in, in aero, aerospace, travel, and dynamics. There's great, great strides, and thank God for it, in the medical field of technology. And there's treatments and cures for diseases that a few years ago were hopeless. But underneath all of that, the real issue of life, and that is of our spiritual depth and our spiritual condition, we really haven't changed any. The world is not better. The world has not been transformed with all of that knowledge that we have readily available for us. Even if knowledge doubled every 24 hours, the world would still be full of educated disasters. Now, while some things change, some things never change. Now, one of the things that never changes is the condition of the human experience. Uh, and it may change rapidly, but the condition of the human heart does not. The prophet Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things in Jeremiah 17, 9. And this further proves the words of Paul to Timothy that the world of unbelievers is always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I think that's the reason someone can graduate at the top of his or her class and fail at the basic decisions of life. So we need more than knowledge. Facts do not provide the foundation for life. And I think that was what we can boil down the book of Proverbs into saying. That facts, information, knowledge does not provide the foundation for life. Now, look at the scripture for today. One verse out of chapter 1 in Proverbs. It just follows up on the first six verses. And from here, we'll start going all over the book of Proverbs, looking at the various aspects of life that this wisdom literature addresses. But look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, there's some key words there, wisdom, knowledge, and discipline. And they're all used synonymously to state the premise of Proverbs, and it's this, that wisdom, knowledge, and discipline allow a person to make the right decision for the right reason at the right time and apply it in the right spirit in order to attain the right effect because they place the highest priority on their relationship with God. When you put the fear of God first in your life, like we talked about last week, 
that we allow God to be the very center of our life and around him everything else revolves, then that means all knowledge has to be filtered through him. And that leads us to wisdom to make the wise decisions in life. Now, on the other hand, Solomon tells us that fools are people who neither believe who God is nor desire a relationship with him. And they ultimately and effectively despise knowledge, wisdom, and instruction. And that's what the latter part of verse 7 says. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. You boil that down to the essence of that, and it simply means that the fool is unable to make the right decision for the right reason at the right time and apply it in the right spirit to attain the right effect. So what I want us to do today is we talk about walking wisely in the midst of a bunch of fools is that the, I want to point out to you the biblical contrast the book of Proverbs gives us between the foolish and the wise. Okay, so let's start with the description of the foolish. And there are seven, six characteristics uh, that, that I'm going to list for you today. The description of the foolish, six characteristics. Number one is the fool is arrogant. Fool is arrogant. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. The fool says, I know the way. I have knowledge, I have insight, I have intellect, I know the way. But the wise man listens to advice. The fool also lacks discretion. He lacks discretion. Proverbs 12, 16 says, A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. In other words, a foolish person does not have self-control. They don't have discretion as to know when to speak and when not to speak. Or how to respond in certain situations. And thirdly, the fool is unteachable. Proverbs 15, 5 says, A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. In other words, the fool will not listen to wise discipline, the wisdom of a parent, or anybody else who's older and got more experience and more knowledge and they just go their own way. Foolish, unteachable. This is a tough one. Proverbs twenty six eleven says, "As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly." The fool just will not learn. And number four, the fool is argumentative. Proverbs twenty three says, twenty verse three says, "It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick." To quarrel. See, the fool just loves to argue for the sake of argument. And then number number six is the fool is incurable. Now that sounds kind of disheartening. You say, well, can I change? Well, yeah, I think there is hope, but there are some you have to realize, and you've seen this in your life, that there are some who just don't do anything but foolish things. They don't, they don't know anything but make foolish decisions. Proverbs 27, 22 says, Though you grind a fool in a mortar, grinding him like grain with a pestle, you will not remove his folly from him. In other words, you're saying if you take a fool, put him in the mortar and take the pestle and you just grind him down like you would, would grain to break it down into the essence, you cannot Break out of the life of the fool the folly that is in his life. 
You know that. We just shake our heads in amazement sometimes at what foolish people do. You ever watched an episode of America's Funniest Home Videos? There are people that just do absolutely stupid, dumb things on there. You remember the words of Jeff Foxworthy? He's the one that talked about you might be a redneck if. He said the famous last words of a redneck are, hey, y'all, watch this. Hmm? I discovered a website this week, the Darwin Awards, www.darwinawards.com, and it's a tongue-in-cheek takeoff on Charles Darwin, the father of evolution. You know, the Darwin Awards commemorate those who prove, improve our gene pool and preserve the survival of the fittest because they die while doing really dumb stuff. You might want to look that up sometime and just read some of the amazingly dumb things that people do. Let me give you a couple of examples. This is out of Brushy Fork, West Virginia. A man by the name of Alfred discovered he had trouble with termites in his house. He had heard that natural gas was dangerous and he figured it would be a good low-cost way to fumigate his house. So he shut all the windows, all the doors, turned on all the gas elements, and then went and spent the night outside in a camper that he had. The next morning, he stepped out of the trailer, took a breath of the crisp, cool mountain air in West Virginia, and he went to his house. Simply opening the front door and the latch turning was enough friction that it set off all that natural gas that accumulated in the house. And the force of that explosion blew him off the porch and into a nearby creek. It knocked out all the telephones in the town and electricity, and it blew the doors off the local church. And it rattled windows and nerves six miles away. We don't know whether it worked to eliminate the termites, but Alfred was eliminated. It worked on Alfred. Anybody in here afraid of snakes? Yeah, I am. You know that. Don't ever come at me with a snake. That would be a foolish thing to do. This is a story out of Malaysia, and I guess they're probably common over there, and I remind me never to visit Malaysia, okay? But a man by the name of Ziam Kostanen spotted a 12-foot python just dozing beside the road, and he said, ooh, that's money. Somebody will pay for that. So he went home, and he got, he got gloves, and he got a sickle, and he came back, and somehow he, he was able just simply to capture that python. It's 12 feet long now. And, and he grabs it around the neck like this. He's holding it out, and he gets on his bicycle to go wherever he's going to try to sell that. And he's, he's holding it up like this pride, proudly. Now, what's dangling below that snake's head? About 11 and a half feet of a snake's body. As that idiot rode along on his bicycle, that snake started wrapping itself around him, and eventually, the bicycle falls over, and the next day, people come along, and they found poor old Zion dead, wrapped up in that 12-foot python. They had to kill the python to get him loose. Dumb. Stupid things. 
Right? Well, it, it, some people just won't learn. And when they kill themselves doing it, there is no hope for it. Then the last thing is that the fool is unholy. The fool is unholy. Proverbs 14, 9 says, Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. You will find that pattern so many times in, in reading through these Proverbs that you will give a comparison and a contrast, okay? The fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. But there's a connecting word there. David wrote in the Psalm 14, 1 and says, there is, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And if somebody has said where there is no God, then anything is permissible. And that's the reason that Solomon wrote in Proverbs 14, 9 and said, fools mock at sin. Literally, fools mock at the guilt that sin brings into our life. Fools are committed to unholy living. Fools mock those with moral absolutes. That's the reason there can be so many brilliant people, engineers, doctors, mechanics, school teachers, whoever they are, but they're utterly void of a spiritual life because fools mock at sin. By the very biblical definition of a fool, a fool is someone whose mind is closed to God and whose conscience is seared to sin and whose heart is fully devoted to self. Now, that's some characteristics that describe the foolish. Now, what about the discretion of the wise? Here we come to a great comparison, okay? What do the wise look like? The wise person, and compared to the fool, is the one who fears the Lord and is blessed by God's wisdom. So we talked last week about this wisdom, and what is that wisdom? And it's the ability to make wise decisions, Good, sound, solid, wise decisions. Wisdom is the ability to discern what is right, true, or lasting. It's the opposite, very opposite of foolishness. So how do we become wise? Let me give you some guidelines through that. You see that on your outline. How do we become wise? First is to understand the value of wisdom. Why would I stand up here and proclaim to you that you need this wisdom in your life? Why did Solomon write this book of Proverbs, over 3,000 Proverbs and 1,005 Psalms? All of them he's trying to impart wisdom to us. He's having us to understand the value of wisdom. Proverbs 13 through 18 says, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Isn't that something? Wisdom yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. That's a great description in the right hand and the left hand. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. See, there is great value in wisdom. Comparing it to gold and rubies and honor. There's great value in wisdom. And not until we understand the value of wisdom, though, will we seek it, desire it, and claim it in our life. The second thing is that if you're going to be wise, you have to have a healthy fear of God. 
in our text today, Proverbs 1.7, Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Last week we looked at Proverbs 9.10, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So what does that phrase, fear of the Lord, mean? It's a reminder to us that we need to stand in awe and reverence of this God who is holy, who is jealous of his name and will not share his glory with another, and who is all-wise and all-knowing, and who will call us to accountability about our relationship with him, whether we have it or not. And see, that, that, that concept of the fear of God, fearing God, is seen so many places where we read about people having an encounter with the holy God that they usually faint or fall back at least with fear. Isaiah in the temple had that marvelous worship experience and he saw the Lord and he said, Woe is me for I am ruined. Woe is me for I am ruined. The Apostle John saw the glory of God. And Revelation 117, the Scriptures tells us he fell at his feet like a dead man. The writer of Hebrews tells us in 1031, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And you might remember in the New Testament when Jesus came and encountered Peter, and Peter is in the boat and Jesus is speaking to him and calling him, and Peter said what? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. See, in this life, there are many things that can bring fear to our life. Snakes, spiders, violent storms. Well, I did not expect that storm yesterday afternoon. I had just come in from outside working in the yard and sprayed about a tank of Roundup around killing some weeds. I'm sure all that is gone. But my poor old dog, Dixie, knew that there was a storm coming. She was hiding under the car in the garage. I should have known. She's better predicted than National Weather Service when a storm is coming. Some of us fear disease and death itself. Some of us fear God because we don't love him. Storms and snakes may damage your physical body, but it's God who can damn your soul in hell for all eternity. Because of your decision, not his. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I want to suggest to you not not to soft pedal that phrase, fear the Lord. You do need to stand in reverence and awe of who he is and all of his holiness and all of his glory. But at the same time, you need to be fearful of him. You need to have a respect for him because of the power and the awesomeness that is God's and what he can do. And when you come to that understanding, then Solomon says we begin to get the wisdom. Now, Christians, we who believe in Christ and have a relationship with God, we too have to fear the Lord. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate, says God. Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 14.26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. 
Proverbs 14, 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. You see, if you are never in a relationship with God, you better learn to fear Him because that's the only way you're going to get out of this world with eternal life. Jesus said, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. If you haven't made that decision and come into a relationship with God, you need to do that today. On the other hand, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, then you need to fear the Lord also because you need to understand that you need to walk in His holiness of the ways of God Himself. And you need to understand also that we're going to face a time of judgment. Our judgment will not be for salvation, is where we're going to spend eternity, but our judgment is going to be with what we did with the things that God gave to us to promote the kingdom of God. And we'll get our rewards based upon that. And so we need to fear the Lord and know what He expects of us, what He approves of, what He doesn't approve of. So we need to learn to fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Then we need to seek wise counsel. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. So we all need to have some people in our life that we have confidence in who can give us wise counsel when we need it. You're facing a major decision in your life. You don't need to try to make that on your own. Surround yourself with some wise people, wise counsel who can give you the guidance and wisdom that you need. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walked with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Look at your life. Who do you, who do you spend the most time with? Are your friends, the people, your neighbors, are they dragging you down? Are they building you up? Are they helping you to see God? Are they a negative or positive influence in your life? Proverbs 19.20 says, listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. The relationships are important, and we need to have relationships with people who are wise. And lastly, you need to learn humility. You need to learn humility if you want to be wise. See, when pride comes, Proverbs 11.2 says, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. You ever had it quoted to you? He said, pride goes before destruction. Yeah. Some people have misinterpreted that and think when you lose your pride, then you fall. No. This is talking about you walk arrogantly in your pride, your nose in the air with a holier-than-thou attitude. Next thing you know, you're stumbling over something called sin and you fall. And let me also say something to you, as hard as, as this might sound. If you think you're humble, then you're not. That's tough, isn't it? Think you're humble, it's not. So how do we come to this conclusion and wrap all of this up? Some years ago, the flamboyant and satirical American journalist H.L. Mencken once said, For every complicated problem, there is a solution that is simple, direct, understandable, and wrong. Oftentimes we go for that. The solution that is simple, direct, understandable, and wrong. That is if you go by the wisdom of this world and the unwise counsel of your friends who are not believers. But there is a solution. And it is simple, direct, and understandable. And it is the fear of the Lord. 
Solomon makes that very, very, very clear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So today I would say to you, wise up. And learn that you will never navigate your way through the maze of information and the wealth of knowledge in this world unless you are in a relationship with God because then he opens your eyes and your heart to wisdom. And wisdom is what allows us to make the wise decisions in life. And when you make wise decisions, your life is less complicated, there are less problems, there are less issues to deal with. So wise up. Enter into a relationship with God. Fear Him and let Him fill you with wisdom. And that wisdom then leads to knowledge and discipline. Wise up. Wise up. Father God, you are the one true God. You are holy and you are righteous. Help us to fear you in the way that you would want us to fear you that would bring glory and honor to your name and would bring wisdom and guidance into our life. Father, I pray that you will open our hearts so that we will understand rightly what it means to fear you and live in that relationship with you and that we will make that decision today through faith in Jesus Christ and then as we live in Christ, help us also, Father, to dig deep into your word so that we will learn more and more what pleases you and what blesses our life as we walk in wisdom. Help us to be wise as we navigate through this world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.